Kent Garrett. Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s and are now 80 years old. We entered Harvard as Negroes, but graduated as Blacks and African Americans. Our guest is author and educator Tim Spofford. His new book is titled, What the Children Told Us, The Untold Story of the Famous Doll Test and the Black Psychologist Who Changed the World. I'm joined by 19 of my Harvard classmates. I'm going to apologize in advance. I've got the dish technician here reconnecting my TV. Uh, (laughs) I think the critters have been at work already. So if I disappear, I'm coming back and I'll listen to the recording. Okay. All right. David. (laughs) Uh, David Othmer. Hi. I uh, grew up in South America and Central America. And uh, my... Pretty much my entire career spent in public broadcasting in New York City at WNET and here in Philadelphia at WHYY. Jerry Secundi, I live in Pasadena, California, grew up in segregated Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm an environmental lawyer, spent a couple of years in the Peace Corps and worked for the federal government, state government, nonprofits, oil companies, uh, etc. And still I'm still working. Okay, good. Peter. I, I'm an editor and writer in New Hampshire and uh, in the uh, 60s, at that very uh, impressionable age at Weber, I, I got a heavy dose of the South in that I worked for SNCC in Southwest Georgia for two years, went to jail, went to jail numerous times there. Um, Ron Blau, living in Newton, Massachusetts, class of 63. A uh, year after graduation, a year, a week after graduation, I was working for WGBH TV, uh, worked in public television, commercial television, cable television most of the time. Now I write scripts when people ask me to make some independent videos and uh, I'm active in climate work. Okay, Peter Grelly. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I class of 63 slash 65. I graduated <laughs> two years late. Um, but I'm particularly interested in today's uh, uh, speaker and subject because in the mid 70s, <laughs> wife and I lived for a couple of years in the town of Hastings on Hudson at New York, Westchester County. And we met the uh, Kenneth and Mamie Clark a couple of times. I can't say that I really got to know them well at all, but um, they were, of course, a revered couple in the town of Hastings. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing Mr. Spofford. Okay, Alden. Uh, born in Mass General, grew up in New England, now live in San Francisco, uh, just south of San Francisco. Uh, I had not realized before that Kenneth Clark had worked on an American dilemma. When I finished college, I was going to teach for uh, I taught for three years in South Carolina, and before I went down there, uh, the summer of '63, I decided I read, needed to read two books about the, the South. So I read *An American Dilemma* and *Gone with the Wind*. <laughs> John, uh, John Woodford, uh, '63-'64. I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I've been writing and editing till retirement. Other than that, every now and then I do some book reviews, and Otherwise, I just hang out, luxuriating. I'm a master of 
luxuriating or leisureating, I should say. Leisure, not luxury, but leisure. <laughs> Good. Marcy. Um, and I've run Clean Air Campaign and its Open Rivers Project in New York City for a really long time. And um, it has worked on major resource allocation <clears throat> issues, notably the fight to get billions transferred from the Westway Highway and Hudson River Development Project to mass transit. And I'm now trying to move heaven and earth uh, to get the right archivist hired and organize a huge archives and information resource project, which is harder than it should be for every advocacy work type organization. Bill Collins, I grew up in Massachusetts. Harvard 63, Navy 20 years, nuclear power. Uh, worked at the Savannah River, worked for Westinghouse in Pittsburgh for a while, then at the Savannah River site doing nuclear and hazardous waste cleanup. And now I'm retired doing a lot of volunteer work. I am Spencer and uh, down here in cool uh, and soon to get cold, uh, Florida, Central Florida. And uh, I'm also really uh, interested in this uh, session. Uh, I uh, conversed with uh, Dr. Clark, Kenneth Clark, several times. We were part of the same uh, movement. Uh, we were doing uh, Young Guys Gonna Come Out and, and, and Save the World with the Negro <laughs> Industrial and Economic Union. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so we had exchanges. He was the intellectual guru. Uh, and. Uh, so yes, those times bring back fond memories. Looking forward to this meeting. Okay, Hamp. Yeah, uh, Hamp Howell, Harvard 63. I grew up in New York and Boston. I live in Nashville. I'm a practicing clinical psychologist and I'm very glad that you wrote on Kenneth Clark, Tim Spofford, and that we'll be having this uh, show today. Uh, the uh, I, 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 he's he's a psychologist who has done a uh, a, a lot of good things for people. There's there's a number of psychologists that have contributed to some some appalling, uh, uh, ra racist stuff in the in the, in the past. So, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what you uh, uh, make of the career of one of the good guys here. All right, good. <laughs> George, George Allen. Uh, I'm there. Um, like almost everyone else, I was uh, class of uh, 63 at Harvard. I... George Jones, class of 63, retired biologist, currently living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. All right, Jeff. Hi, uh, Jeff Fox, uh, originally from Chicago. Right after Harvard, I went to Venezuela to work as a community organizer and did a lot of work uh, in and about Latin America as a sociologist for years. I'm now living in Spain and writing fiction. All righty, uh, Doug. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Doug Shapiro living in Louisville. Uh, I'm an ex-physician, ex-behavioral ecologist. Um, I first heard about uh, Kenneth Clark and his uh, doll uh, interpretation studies uh, sometime during my undergraduate career. Don't remember why, because I never actually took a psychology course, 
but I was very impressed with the data and results. And so I have uh, a lot of interest in today's discussion. This will be the first time I thought about this or had any <coughs> input about it for almost 60 years. Okay, Ken. Ken Manister, uh, originally from the south side of Chicago, uh, member of the class of 63. Uh, I'm a retired professor of environmental law, taught for many years principally at uh, Santa Clara University. David Lellyville, class of 63. I'm in New York City, and uh, which is where I'm from. And uh, uh, I've, I'm a historian of India, uh, but I've uh, long known of uh, Kenneth Clark uh, ever since his prominent role in Brown versus uh, Board of Education uh, long before we got to, well, not long before, but before we got to uh, college. Um, there's another Kenneth Clark, uh, of course, which uh, was a great drummer, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, you're right, you're right. And Tim, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and uh, good to see you. Good to see you too, Kent, and uh, thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I'm very impressed with the uh, 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 audience here, uh, and really impressed to see that several have actually uh, known or spoken with the Clarks. Uh, that's all to the good. Uh, I, I should, uh, I, I guess, uh, introduce myself much the same way as your your uh, listeners. And uh, I grew up in in, in Cohoes, New York. Uh, uh, an all-white mill town, and the fact that it was all-white was not an accident, I can assure you. Uh, I, uh, uh, I will talk in a moment about going, my experience in college, where, which is where I first heard of Ken, uh, uh, Ken Clark in the doll test. And, uh, and uh, I, I got a doctorate in English, uh, taught uh, journalism, and uh, American literature and writing classes for a while, for, for quite a while. Um, and then uh, I went into journalism. I, I wanted to do it full time, covered education. I was kind of a junkie uh, on education policy. And so I was uh, covering the state legislature and, and the board of regents, which is like the, the school and university board for the whole state of New York. Uh, and uh, the SUNY uh, 64 campus SUNY system in Albany, New York for the Albany Times Union. Uh, and that's where I met Kenneth Clark. Um, and I, I tended to uh, specialize in uh, covering issues in education that were related to race. Um, one of the questions I'm most often asked is how, how did you get interested in Kenneth Clark? A, uh, a white kid from uh, uh, all white town. How did how did how did you uh, fall into this? And uh, the fact is, at 17 years old, I was a college freshman. I'm sitting in this big, big, dark auditorium, and I have a, a rather attractive young psychology prof, um, uh, and he's talking about uh, Kenneth Clark suddenly and the doll test. And he talked about how uh, black children who took this test 
were turning down or even uh, saying negative things about black dolls and embracing white dolls. And this struck me as rather uh, very sad. And it's really stuck with me, including his name. I tend to be, uh, I guess I have reporter's genes. Uh, I tend to remember names. And I didn't forget at 17, I didn't forget that name, Kenneth Clark. And he helped refresh my memory because I was an avid New York Times reader. And Kenneth practically owned uh, space on the front page of that paper. He was there very often uh, throughout the 70s. And, uh, and, and of course, in the, in the late 60s as well. And so it was pretty easy to, to uh, uh, follow his career because there it was, uh, almost sometimes on a daily basis. So um, uh, take that story a step further. I'm a reporter now. I'm covering education in uh, Albany, New York, and I'm going to a Board of Regents meeting. And this is the most powerful uh, education policymaking board in, uh, in all the 50 states. And there's this little old round-shouldered soft-spoken man he's black and he's surrounded by the grandees of the kind of the white establishment of the state at that time and uh and he's the only person on that board who is a really historic figure there are all these uh oil portraits around on the walls of white men who had been famous regents uh, some of them you may have heard of, people like John Jay, uh, Alexander Hamilton, the Founding Fathers. And uh, I thought it was very fitting. It was this little quiet guy sitting there in this boardroom, and, and uh, he had played such a role in history along with these esteemed uh, white Founding Fathers. Well, anyway, I interviewed him uh, that day. It was to be a, an intensive interview. Uh, and uh, we talked about the doll testament and, and so on. But before we did, I, I met him uh, standing up. We we're talking together in a hallway before sitting for the interview. And uh, I expressed my condolences for the uh, death of his wife, Mamie, uh, who had died fairly recently. And he, uh, at the time, this is uh, about 1986, 85, he said to me, oh, I feel like I've lost an organ. And when he said that, he had his hands on his stomach. And I felt, wow, there really has got to be a book here. She was his, not only his lover, his wife, the mother of his children, uh, but his colleague in research. And, and the man is really torn up. Everybody told me he was rather depressed by her passing. So uh, what was this Daltex? It's probably better known than the Clarks themselves. The Dow test was, uh, to put it very simply, <clears throat> uh, uh, eight, a series of questions that Kenneth would ask a little child, usually between the ages of two and eight. Um, so he, such, he would show uh, the child four dolls and uh, two would be white and two would be uh, brown. And he would put them in a staggered, uh, uh, integrated lineup. And he would say, uh, which is the doll that uh, you like best? Which is the doll that you would like to play with? That was the first question. And there were other questions too, like which doll is the bad doll? 
which doll is the nice doll or the, or the pretty doll. Um, and the final question was always, uh, which doll looks like you? And uh, very often that last question was very uh, difficult for the kids to answer because in most cases they described rather negative attributes to the uh, brown dolls. And then that last question caught them up short because they had to acknowledge that they looked more like the uh, brown doll in virtually, well, in most cases, than they did uh, the white doll. So in short and simple, that, that was the doll test. Now, some of those kids said uh, uh, derogatory, and they were all black. Some of them uh, ascribed very negative characteristics to the brown doll uh, dolls. Um, they even in some cases used epithets. Um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty heartrending stuff. Uh, when uh, some of them actually were uh, so upset by the test that they scurried uh, from the class uh, from the the schoolroom where the question uh, where the testing was held and and were crying uh that was a small number wasn't a majority but that that really happened so in short that was the doll test uh where and when did it start it, it started the first uh, the christening of the doll test although i'm sure kenneth sort of took it out for a few test flights before he went to Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, so we wanted to go to a northern uh, integrated, uh, a nominally integrated community where the schools were at, at the very least nominally integrated and do his testing there. Uh, he also wanted to do it in the South. So he aimed to uh, then follow up the testing in October 1940 in Springfield with more testing of the kind that I just described in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, his wife's hometown, Mamie. And the reason for that, the latter was that he could live for free in his wife, in his in-laws home in Hot Springs. Uh, he didn't have quite enough black children in Hot Springs. That's a smaller city than Springfield is. Spring, Springfield was a pretty big, prosperous uh, city in, in Massachusetts at the time. Uh, and so he did some limited testing in Little Rock, Arkansas, the capital of Arkansas, and down in Pine Bluff, where there's, uh, there was a state university, uh, a state college, black college. And uh, he probably stayed with people he knew down there. So that's, uh, that is where the testing took place. So it begins in October 40 in Springfield, and it ends in um, uh, uh, Hot Springs in January 1941. So what he was wanting to see, he and Mamie, uh, because they did this test, they developed this test together, they wanted to see if the results for uh, black children in integrated schools might differ somehow from the results for uh, black children in segregated schools in, in, the, in the South. Was that all there was to this doll test? Just uh, 
just a couple of questions about the dolls, uh, which is the good one, which is the bad one. Uh, no, the, the, the whole testing regimen was, was really more complicated than that. Uh, it included a, an IQ test uh, first, and that probably was designed to be able to tell whether uh, the children who are maybe youngest or uh, not as mentally developed as others to, to determine whether they're really capable of handling the test questions. So there was that IQ test. Uh, another feature of the test was a series of pictures and, and uh, there, there were uh, drawings, I really should say, line drawings of black boys and black girls. And, uh, and the children were asked, you know, which one looks like you, uh, which is the good one, which is the bad one. And very similar answers to the, to the answers to the dolls. Uh, Mamie uh, was a full partner in this testing regimen. She was a full partner. Uh, she probably worked harder on this doll test than he did. Um, and uh, she developed a coloring test. So each child was asked to choose from a, a box of crayons and to color uh, uh, line drawings of, of a boy and line, uh, a line drawing of a boy and a line drawing of a girl, uh, the color that they felt uh, boys and girls should be. Uh, that was usually the way it was phrased or color yourself. Show me what you would like. Uh, show me what you're like in this picture of this boy or this girl. And they would take the crayons out. And Kenneth was more impressed by Mamie's coloring test than he was by the doll test. Uh, he was impressed because a lot of the kids were very talkative during that, and they would start coloring the, the face of the, of the uh, boy, let's say, uh, white. And he would say, well, why, why, why white? And, and they would respond and try to ex explain, and very often would immediately get embarrassed and shift the color. Uh, some would begin immediately with orange, and uh, which he regarded as a bizarre, rather inappropriate color uh, to avoid uh, tackling or confronting the issue of their own identity. That, that was the way Kenneth uh, interpreted that, that common co uh, choice of color. Uh, some of them uh, then, some of the children after he asked, oh, gee, why white? Uh, they would then take out, oh, oh, and they would go to a brown, brown crayon and start coloring over the white with brown. Um, so Kent was more intrigued by that. Who did, who, who actually came up with the idea of the doll, um, uh, using dolls? Uh, it's first, uh, it's not at all clear. Uh, the likelihood, well, it, the likelihood is what, what Kenneth said it was, is that it was a joint decision, that they both came up with the idea at roughly the same time and worked out all the kinks of that. Uh, some, some people have written, there are a lot of myths about the Clarks that are inaccurate, by the way, there are all kinds of things. Uh, but it's often written that Mamie clearly was the one who came up with the doll test. Uh, I found no evidence of that. Uh, that it, could be true, but I didn't find any evidence of it. And Kenneth said it was a joint decision. Kenneth was a pretty straight shooter. 
Uh, so I think that's probably pretty reliable, and especially since his favorite test was never the doll test. It was the coloring test. And he said Mamie definitely invented the, the coloring test. Um, well, Tim, let me ask you, how was the statistically, how was the sample? Uh, how you know, correct was, were their samples? Now, <clears throat> I'm not sure what you mean. You mean valid? How, how many kids did, how many kids? Oh, did okay. They, yeah. Uh, a total of between Springfield and Arkansas children, total of 253. Roughly half in each, in each venue. I think, um, I think there are a few more in Arkansas, a few more, but not many more. I see. And if you're curious about the results, two thirds of the children opted for the white doll. Two thirds. Um, also, on the results, if you're curious about the uh, integrated schools versus the segregated schools breakdown, and this became a hot issue later when this got to the Supreme Court and in, and in the trials that led to the Supreme Court ruling, uh, it turned out counterintuitive that the uh, Black children in, in the uh, Southern tests uh, more readily chose the brown doll. And the Northern children from the integrated schools uh, uh, were less inclined, slightly less inclined to choose the brown doll. As, as, look, as looking like them? Uh, no, no, as, as a, their personal preference for the best doll and the doll they wanted to play with. Um, I, I don't recall exactly uh, what the uh, percentage was uh, as far as identifying themselves with the color of the doll, uh, but there were a number, quite a few who, who identified themselves as white. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some cases that wasn't altogether wrong because some of those children were, were uh, quite quite uh, fair. Uh, so that wasn't always a rejection of the wrong race. Um, one of the, there was about an 8% difference between the Northern sample and the Southern sample on, on, in terms of their preference of a brown or a white doll. What Kenneth uh, and Maney concluded was that uh, if you looked at, and they, by the way, they color coded each test sheet so that they knew roughly the color of each child, the shade, not only, not only the color of the shade of each child. So they had an XYZ system with pluses and minuses for each of those letters to denote from, from lightest to darkest. So they knew when they were looking at the test sheets and they're calculating all their numbers and stuff, they knew what they were dealing with, a fair-skinned uh, fair child, light-skinned child, or a dark-skinned child. Uh, but they concluded that, uh, Kenneth knew that the Southern children tended to be darker than the Northern children. And so he uh, hypothesized that maybe there was this reason, uh, um, maybe for that reason, uh, the Northern kids uh, were more likely to identify with a light, uh, a light skinned doll, white doll. Um, 
So Ken, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to John. You had a question and then we'll go to George. Uh, yeah, it's, um, I looked at some critiques of the study, especially one by Texas A&M professor, uh, uh, Tony Sturdivant. Yes. She says that, of course, so although she, she respects the Clarks for what they contributed to society's understanding of how black children see race, I believe their doll tests were really kind of unnatural, and I would even argue quite stressful. What if, for instance, the children were not forced to choose between one doll or the other, but could choose dolls on their own without any adults prodding them? And what if there were more races and ethnicities available from which to choose? Uh, so then she conducted her own uh, test, but I, you know, I do think that the methodology uh, and what is intended to show is one thing, but what's kind of interesting is because of the simplicity of the test, the main thing is it was able to be used um, convincingly as a way to get people to vote and decide that, that uh, segregation and Jim Crow stuff was bad. I think as an instrument of public discourse and law, it turned out to be a, a handy test. But what is it showing about psychology or about the kids? I think that's sort of secondary and a little bit more problematic. Um, I'll respond to that this way, that um, the doll test was always controversial. Mm -hmm. It was never a time when it wasn't controversial. Uh, the uh, NAACP used uh, the doll test um, in, in courtroom situation. Uh, Kenneth testified about it. Uh, he conducted the doll tests in, I believe, three of the five uh, states or Washington, uh, Washington DC was the fifth case that was rolled up and wrapped up by the Supreme Court as Brown versus the Board of Education. But actually Brown was the Kansas, Topeka, Kansas case. But there were really five cases. And in three of those cases, uh, Kenneth testified, uh, well, actually four out of the five he testified, I believe. <clears throat> and three of them, he actually conducted doll tests where he, where he tested the children th that were involved in the lawsuits. So um, the NAACP lawyers working on Brown did not agree on whether this was a valid test, that it would persuade the Supreme Court one way or another. Um, and, I mean, very controversial. Some, some fought like hell to, to not use this with the Supreme Court. But uh, Bob Carter, um, who was... Uh, Thurgood Marshall's right-hand man, was very, very much uh, in favor of it. Uh, he liked the idea that what Kenneth was saying is that uh, racism, uh, discrimination, uh, prejudice damages the child. And, uh, and what lawyers like to do to win lawsuits is to uh, prove damages. And so that carried the day. Bob Carter won, uh, Thurgood Marshall's okay to proceed with that argument. And I would um, agree with what you said that it really helped 
the cause of striking down uh, through Brown, striking down state mandated <laughs> school segregation. Um, however, uh, uh, many uh, psychologists today argue uh, somewhat persuasively that this was, you know, the early days of psychology. It was a fairly primitive, simple test. Uh, there probably were problems with it, but you know, the 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 next uh, uh, article uh, that is uh, ruled absolutely perfect or experiment in the social sciences that's ruled experiment from the outset will be the very first. Uh, I mean, this is what social scientists do. They argue. And uh, that's how we try to reach. Right. Well, I think truth. the key thing about this one is that if the black child selects a non-black doll, it was interpreted as rejection right. of itself. But if a, if a white child chooses to play with a black doll or a brown doll, doll, it's not interpreted as a rejection of the child's uh, race identity. So, you know, there's a there's a uh, double standard right built into the beginning with suppositions. I, I'm not going to. If a white child pretend, uh, plays with a doll that looks unlike them, they're, they'll be praised for being open and broad-minded and sympathetic and so forth. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, as I say, it, it is a very simple uh, uh, bit of machinery to determine the complicated thing that we're trying to determine. Uh, what uh, uh, Dr. Sturdivant did was she had children play with brown and white dolls uh, in a yard, I think under a tree, if I remember. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she came up, however, with pretty much the same results. There some, yeah, and then Clark came up with. Yeah, and and you know, this experiment is uh, conducted around the world even today. Uh, the mm. doll test, and and some, I think probably most of the people who've tried to replicate it have altered it a little bit, uh, but it is still uh, uh, conducted around the world. Uh, and places like Italy and uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, I think Trinidad, Tobago, uh, places we don't even know, and all over the United States. Well, I mean, this this yeah. happens all the time. And what's interesting is, <coughs> pardon me, what's interesting is that an awful lot of researchers, not all, come up with results extremely similar uh, to Kenneth and Mamie's results, including Dr. Sturdivant. Uh, she uh, talked about the children playing with these dolls were, were uh, denigrating and mishandling, uh, uh, practically abusing the, the brown doll. Um, a very interesting study, very interesting. Yeah. And, and I've read a, a, a quite a few of these studies and so the kind uh, Kenneth wrote down quotations from these children as they were being tested. And I think that that is really what really affected him a lot. He wrote down the things they said about these dolls and, mm -hmm. and, and said about themselves. 
And th these were remarks that, that were very, very troubling about the children's attitudes toward their own race and identity. And, um, and other researchers um, that I've read, um, there are two researchers that followed him by only a few years who wrote books on their uh, research. One was an anthropologist and the other was a psychologist. And they did things like uh, create dollhouses and have children play and then observe the children and then write down what the children uh, said as they were playing. And the things like uh, they would put the black children in the uh, houses, the dollhouses that were like shacks. Mm -hmm. And they would put the scruffy clothes, ragged clothes on the black children and the nice clothes on the white children and make, and make derogatory remarks about the, uh, the black, uh, the black um, doll, paper doll figures and so on, or I guess they weren't paper. I think they were wooden and you would put paper clothes on them and so on. Uh, there are all kinds of quotations in these two studies in the, that came, uh, were written up in the 50s, 60s and 70s uh, they span years, these, these studies, and they're very troubling. And they're very similar to the quotations that you see on Kenneth's uh, test sheets today. Uh, George Allen? I would like to know what, if anything, uh, is reflected in current study, uh, repeating the same studies uh, on new uh, groups uh, who have seen a totally different uh, set of inputs uh, in terms of of attitudes and and so forth, and then, and and uh, part. I'm of glad. That. I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked mm -hmm. uh, because that's where I was going next. Uh, in the 1960s, you have uh, the, you have the Black Arts Movement, you have the Black Power Movement, and the Black Pride Movement, and these have tremendous impact on the uh, values of of uh, and the beliefs of uh, young black young black people in that era, and those changes uh, begin to show in the doll test results that came out uh, around 1969. And so we begin to see results that are more positive, uh, not universally, not 100%, but uh, much better results from the point of view of what looks like well-adjusted uh, uh, attitudes toward one's uh, racial identity. Uh, and that's not to say that there aren't studies that have again harkened back to the Clark's results and said, see, nothing's changed. But no, I, th I think a lot has changed. And I think the more sensitive studies tend to, tend to indicate that. Uh, one caveat, though, uh, starting soon after, uh, by the way, some complained that Kenneth didn't test white children. Well, that's because he was trying to get that north-south dichotomy, that segregated versus integrated dichotomy in the results. Uh, in the South, he wasn't allowed to sit in a classroom with a white child. 
that just couldn't happen. And that was uh, a reality that was pretty much voiced upon. But uh, after that point, uh, you know, you're getting into the 60s, that wasn't the issue. And a, a lot of uh, the test takers uh, later in the, in the 60s and, and later decades were white kids. And those results were, were equally disturbed because uh, white kids uh, had terrible things to say about the dolls, um, the brown dolls, uh, really nasty racist things. And um, in, 19, in 2012, and then again in 2014, CNN, uh, with Anderson Cooper's uh, 360 degrees program, uh, set aside two weeks, two different weeks, two different years, 2012, 2014, in which they had researchers come in and devise a kind of doll test uh, and give it to white kids and uh, black kids. And the reason for doing that was Obama had fairly recently been elected. And they wanted to see if uh, the results of this test were, were uh, more hopeful than the original doll test. And uh, it was really fascinating. I mean, Cooper spent uh, in, in 2012 an entire week on this, five, five nights. It was really quite surprising. And, uh, and yes, there were some black children who were uh, saying negative things about the brown dolls. Uh, and they weren't actually dolls, they were little pictures. Uh, I think there were five pictures of a, a child of different shades, uh, the lightest from the lightest to the darkest. And they were asked similar questions. And uh, uh, some of those children responded in ways that were uh, not, 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 not terribly hopeful. Uh, but with the white kids, uh, pretty consistently very disappointing results. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is, uh, if you look at the white kids' responses to this kind of testing, over a period of 50, 60 years, it's very consistent and very disturbing. What the researchers uh, told Cooper in both tests, 2012 and 2014, was that one of the problems was that white parents do not talk about race with their children. They tend not to. They mm. tend not to uh, stress the need to get along. Uh, and uh, black parents, however, do try to prepare their children for a, uh, a diverse world and a, a world that is in many ways dangerous for, for them sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is one of the, the lessons that that series was trying to hit home. Uh, uh, George, parents, George, we, need to, we need to talk about these things. George Jones. So you mentioned that there was a that the the black children who grew up in uh, who, who were were raised in segregated environments were somewhat more positive in their with regard to their choices of the brown do dolls and I presume with regard to their own descriptions of themselves and you said that that seems somewhat counterintuitive. I might suggest that perhaps that has to do to some extent with the possibility that growing up in a segregated environment like many of us did myself included 
in those environments, we were in fact told to embrace our blackness, not to be ashamed of being black. In fact, although I was not taught that it that that whites were inferior to blacks, I was taught that even in the 1950s, that there were many ways in which it was better to be black than to be white. And that might well have been the case in communities even in the 1940s. So that the choices that some of those kids made may simply have been because of the fact that they felt good about themselves. Uh, I think that's a very valid and a very wise uh, reaction. Um, you can make a very strong argument, a compelling argument that uh, in segregated communities of that era, uh, the black community protected its children. Uh, they were protected in uh, black schools from, from uh, the kind of prejudice that kids in integrated schools were subjected to daily. Um, uh, they were, I think if we look back to the 1940s when this test was given, and we looked at uh, black Southern communities, uh, you know, the, the ties to church and neighborhood were very, very strong. And I'm not sure that's still the case, especially in Northern communities. So uh, I think what you're saying is an extremely valid, valid point. Mm -hmm. Doug. Yeah, um, have there been studies done that uh, attempt to evaluate uh, the racial attitudes of parents uh, and then see to what extent uh, those attitudes uh, relate or don't relate to uh, the way their their children respond on these doll tests? Well, I, I'm thinking of one particular study uh, that that was definitely the case. Um, and uh, what the researchers did was they interviewed the parents this was a, like something like a seven year study. And it was something like only 40 children, but it, 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 it uh, was a, a, a study in which children were watched with dolls and, uh, and, re and more or less recorded on paper the things they said and the things they did while playing together. And, uh, and the parents were in interviewed intensively over a period of years. And the things the parents said about race were, were written down in, in and these were book length studies. And, uh, and you could see a certain congruence between what the parent would say on the issue of race and what the, children's, the children were acting out in, uh, in, in the experiment, uh, how they were behaving. There was a certain, there was a certain similarity. So has, has had the results of all these studies over all of these decades um, come to any conclusions about the relative influences of the attitudes of parents uh, versus the influence of attitudes and behavioral interactions that you actually can observe in elementary schools, for example, between kids of different races on, on, on the test results? All I can say is that these are such complicated issues that it's hard to uh, come up with a very simple, hard and fast uh, generalization about, about these matters. 
uh, we human beings are awfully complicated machines. <laughs> and I think if anything, this conversation really brings that to the fore. Uh, because one could actually make the argument, which we were bordering on a moment ago, that uh, the, uh, the race relations in the United States is just so fraught, maybe we should all simply segregate. That there's something good or beneficial about that. Uh, as unsettling as that might sound. I'm not arguing for that. But uh, we're just awfully complicated machines is what I'm saying. Yeah. One final question that I have is, um, is it very clear or not very clear the, the degree to which these doll tests influence the outcome of uh, Brown versus Board of Education? Well, that, that's much disputed like everything. Um, Kenneth had an interesting story. He said he was talking to the Chief Justice who wrote the decision and uh, one day and uh, he asked him, he said, did, did you know about the doll test? And the Chief Justice told him, oh yes, of course. I, I know who you are, and I know what the Dow test is, is all about. Um, in the Supreme, excuse me, in the oral arguments uh, before the Supreme Court, uh, the issue of the Dow test was hotly debated. Uh, John Davis was the uh, uh, white segregationist lawyer, uh, a man who had run for vice uh, vice president of the United States at one point. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and in the 20s. And he was at that point in the 1950s, the man who had argued before the Supreme Court most, more than any other uh, attorney. Uh, he attacked the, the uh, Dahl test uh, full bore right in front of the Supreme Court. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't write this, but this has always been my, my, uh, reaction to all of this. Uh, I think what Kenneth succeeded in doing with Robert Carter, uh, Thurgood Marshall's right-hand man, was help the NAACP lawyers uh, have a plan of attack, uh, a kind of focus on damage to the, to the psyche of the Black child. And that that issue is front and center and everybody was pulling in the same direction. I think that that was the forming principle that led to the victory in Brown. And Kenneth is very, he and Bob Carter, very responsible for that victory. Now, whether the Dow test is valid or not, you know, we can argue about that. But I think uh, as one of your guests just uh, suggested, was that was a, that was a real benefit. Mm -hmm. Spencer. Could I? <clears throat> yeah, um, I'd like to uh, uh, say that I agree with uh, 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 John uh, very uh, strongly about the uh, efficacy and the luck of uh, that uh, historical luck of that such a seminal new breakthrough uh, for the use of psychology uh, to have come uh, and that particular test to have come at that time uh, and uh, that. Uh, of all the things uh, that uh, sufficient was the fact that uh, uh, it made that effect on the, on the Brown versus the board uh, decision. Uh, also, I'd like to think that uh, my thoughts were uh, about George Jones, who I also really 
thought uh, hit on a, a very important point was that the surrounding, the impact of uh, the surrounding environment on the children's, uh, especially like parents, like uh, you, the diversity of parents, uh, uh, both in uh, their, their own uh, growing up, but also in terms of what they saw in the community. And uh, the uh, third thing and last thing was the effect that it had on, uh, uh, that George also pointed out, the effect that it had on young folks like us who, uh, who had a different take on it, which was, yes, yes, look at this. And it galvanized our thinking uh, about uh, uh, creative action. Because if you look at Malcolm X uh, back in the 30s, uh, it was the, uh, the attitude and the convictions of the parents. They could be in a very segregated society and so forth and so on. But because the parents who were West Indian, the father was, uh, uh, you know, he grew up with the, with the very uh, attitudes that most people today, you know, black people today, not, not all the hate stuff, but, you know, the self-pride uh, uh, had. And so I think that that's the internal uh, value of this. Uh, I think uh, Black Lives Matter show that what happens when you, and that was, didn't come from the schools. That came from what was happening around them. But that base of, that, of, of, a, of integration as an accepted natural right that can help to establish, uh, I think is the enduring uh, value of it even today. So I just wanted to say that uh, I saw a continuity in the comments and it turned, I, I liked all, all of them and they formed a cohesive whole of thought. Yeah, just a quick one. Uh, the Brown case was argued uh, twice. Justice Warren had it resubmitted argued uh, after he came on the court. Uh, was there any difference uh, in the use of the Dahl test between uh, the first time and the second, and, and the, the first time would have uh, probably resulted in a seven to two decision with uh, Justices Frankfurter and Black voting against, and the other seven voting for, and Warren wanted a unanimous opinion. Uh, and so had it re-argued, and I wondered if there was any difference in the doll test or, or it, if, if that's anything you could comment on one way or the other. Sure, I, I can comment. Well, uh, that uh, decision is often referred to uh, with a nickname, Brown II. And this was the implementation decree. Uh, the doll test was not an issue. Uh, what was before the court in the second case was how, okay, we've said that we need to uh, destroy these dual, uh, strictly racially uh, conscious school systems in the South and border states. We agree on that. Now, how are we gonna do it? So that was what Brown two was about. So the Dow test was basically in a sense validated. Now there's this issue of how are we gonna do this? And Kenneth, uh, Marshall asked Kenneth to do a completely different study. And that was to take a look at wherever integration was put in place, um, how was it achieved? Uh, did, 
were these various experiments across the nation in integration, were they, were they uh, gradual plans or uh, immediate mand mandatory plans? Uh, so the Supreme Court wanted to know, should we immediately demand the South integrate its schools or should we give them time to comply? And the answer to that, <clears throat> the, the court ruled, we're gonna give them time. You remember the, the expression, all deliberate speed? Well, that word deliberate means kind of cautious and slow and speed means fast. And uh, so what, what we got was slow out of that. It gave the deep self a lot of time to slow everything down. And the result was what we, what we now call um, <clears throat> uh, massive resistance. And uh, this was the period in which Emmett Till was killed. Uh, there were lynchings all over the country. I mean, the South was in a complete uproar uh, as, as it fought for 20 years to keep black children out of, out of schools. Uh, out of white schools. And uh, so that was a completely different decision. Let me just hit a couple of highlights real fast. Mm -hmm. Taft became the Henry Louis Gates Jr. Of, of the 60s and 70s. He was the most prominent black scholar of that era. He was in newspapers and on television all the time, just as Professor Gates is. And Gates is a wonderful guy. He's done so much. Uh, Mamie uh, uh, went on to help found Head Start. She was one of only 12 professionals locked in a, a room for a series of meetings uh, to come up with the uh, guidelines for running the Head Start centers all over the country that we have today. Mamie Clark, one of just 12 to do that. Uh, at the intersection of uh, 110th Street and, and Fifth Avenue, uh, she had a in the it, she worked ten years to build this giant uh, uh, office and and uh, housing complex that we now know as Schomburg Plaza to bring bring people of all uh, all uh, colors together to live and to work. It was a, it, it, it was gateway to Harlem. The idea was to increase development in Harlem, and the idea was to make it integrated development. This couple, they were unyielding integrationists. All right, folks. Well, thank you, Tim, for coming on. It was really welcome, great. Kent. Thank and you for having me. Thank you, everybody. So. We'll talk to next week. That was Tim Spofford. His new book is titled What the Children Told Us, The Untold Story of the Famous Doll Test and the Black Psychologist Who Changed the World. And that's it for this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, which you can find on Apple and Spotify or from wherever you get your podcast. Our podcast also stream on WIOXradio.org every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Plus, you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard. <laughs>